Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Matthew Gavidia, Assistant Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The significant effect of the COVID-19 pandemic on mental health was spotlighted in a recent collaborative study conducted by the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions, Total Brain, and One Mind. Compared with pre-COVID, Study findings indicate stark increases in rates of depression, anxiety, and stress, with women shown to be at a greater risk. On this episode of Managed Carecasts, we speak with Michael Thompson, President and Chief Executive Officer of the National Alliance, and Louis Gagnon, Chief Executive Officer of Total Brain, on the study findings and how employers can optimally work to monitor and support mental health in their respective workforces. Welcome to Managed Carecast. Can you both just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Yeah, I'm Mike Thompson. I'm the President and CEO of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. Uh, the National Alliance is the umbrella organization for employer coalitions across the country. Uh, we represent 60% of the Fortune 100 companies, a lot of mid-sized companies, but also public sector entities like uh, states, cities, uh, school districts, uh, counties, the federal government. Also union groups like the UAW, uh, UAW Trust, 32BJ. So all of these entities uh, purchase healthcare and that, and thus uh, our, our role. Uh, good morning, my name is Louis Gagnon. I am the CEO of Total Brain. Uh, Total Brain is a um, public uh, company uh, that is leveraging digital neuroscience in order to help people self-monitor and self-care in the field of mental health. We are um, offering our product to uh, Fortune 500 uh, enterprises uh, here in the US mainly. Uh, We've been in business for 20 years and we are very, very happy to be associated with Michael, the Alliance, uh, Mr. Staglin at One Mind uh, at work in order to promote something very dear to our heart, which is how mental health is um, affecting us all these days. Mike, can you discuss the role of the National Alliance in the May Mental Health Index study on U.S. workers? ...to the uh, Mental Health Index, uh, and particularly the part of the index that's focused on U.S. workers, uh, through a publication that actually came out from uh, One Mind at Work, and uh, in collaboration with Total Brain. And I quickly recognized that this was uh, not just interesting, it was important. Uh, The ability for us to actually trend and track what is happening to the emotional health of our workforce across the country is going to be particularly critical in this COVID-19 era. And then when you add on top of it, the economic distress, uh, as well as the, uh, you know, social changes that are going on, I think our ability to understand how that's affecting our people uh, is going to be critical as we're developing our strategies, both to bend the curve, mitigate the uh, impact on mental health, which we know it's going to be significant, but also to uh, uh, impress upon the urgency of improving capacity within the system to support uh, our people uh, when they do have issues and and to diagnose early and then uh, treat effectively and support effectively. And so this is a, this is a, uh, a key area era in our history, and this index is going to be, uh, I think, the, the key index for us to uh, monitor where we are uh, 
in that evolution. And Louis, can you just explain what was Total Brain's role? Yeah, so um, as Michael just mentioned, this index is uh, a particular index as in uh, that it is not a survey. It is an aggregate view of thousands of neuroscientific tests that are taken by thousands of employees across the country every week. Those employees come from all walks of life. Uh, and so the US worker edition of that index is a good representation of not just what people think, but what people actually uh, feel uh, from a neuroscience point of view. Uh, it's also using uh, scientific screening questions for mental conditions, uh, which are, you know, uh, well known into the science of uh, psychology to predict with a certain uh, level of accuracy, 80% accuracy. And therefore, it is, uh, it's like we are aggregating uh, clinical data in, in, in that sense, as opposed to survey data. So our role in there was to provide the science, to provide the tool, uh, to make it available, to administer it, uh, to do the initial analysis, uh, to have the interpretation with our partners and the publications with our partners. The goal being uh, that we all share uh, this idea that it's time for people to become aware of the situation and to do something about it. And so, all together, bringing what we can and what we have, uh, we're trying to reach that goal. Louis, as you just alluded to, Total Brain conducts thousands of assessments on US workers of all levels each week, ranging from the private to public sectors. Can you discuss how these assessments are performed and what factors are considered? Yes, uh, so it's all digitally enabled, uh, which basically uh, means that we have um, people um, who are taking an assessment after receiving an email from their employers or other sources. Uh, and people will go to their devices. They will execute a number of tasks. It's going to take 20 minutes. The tasks are things like recognizing emotions, uh, getting out of mazes, memory uh, questions, focus questions, not questions, but tasks. And so at the end of it, uh, what we have is a, a profile of a brain that we compare with uh, the largest neuroscientific database in the world. We're able to give a percentile score on 12 markers of four brain capacities, emotions, feelings, cognition, and self-control. And those are the key functions of a brain. We have 12 markers of that with percentile scores. And we also screen for the seven most common mental conditions, ADHD, ADHD depression, anxiety, addiction, and so on. And so uh, that is really what uh, the assessment does. It is neuroscience driven, not survey questions, and it takes about 20 minutes on any uh, format. Mike, the implications of rising rates of anxiety and depression has been shown in the past to affect employee performance and productivity. Moreover, these findings suggest a distinct risk in the current U.S. workforce. Can you discuss some of the concerns that partner coalitions have expressed to the National Alliance? Yeah, so uh, when I uh, think about depression uh, and mental health in general, uh, it's actually not a huge medical spend. It's a relatively small part of the medical spend. 
but there probably isn't an area that has more impact on other healthcare costs or even on productivity or disability for that matter than mental health. Uh, what, what you will find uh, is, uh, for example, uh, depression is probably the number one cause of disability in the workforce. Uh, mental health conditions are the number one cause of lost productivity in the workforce. Uh, but it also has impact on other healthcare conditions. So people with chronic disease can cause, uh, if they have a mental health condition, can cost three times as much, more than three times as much, if they also have a mental health condition. And, and uh, there's lots of reasons for that, but it, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty big deal. And so when you're looking at this, we're just looking at the tip of the impact on companies and businesses. And, and for that reason, I think it's got everybody's attention. You know, I'm going to share some of this data, if that makes sense, Matthew. Uh, you know, uh, when I first saw this data, I actually saw it through uh, April. This is the data through May. And what Total Brain did is actually benchmark how these things have been trending since the beginning of COVID, defined as early February till now. And the percentages that these things have gone up as, a, as risks, if you will, for general anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, are incredible. I mean, uh, depression up, you know, the risk of depression up 163%. Besides all the productivity issues, besides all the impact on other healthcare costs, besides the impact on on all these other factors, this is going to cause uh, an epidemic of suicide too. So this is every bit as important as the virus itself. And it's not limited to the factors of the virus, right? The virus had an impact on the economy. The virus kind of opened up all sorts of sore spots in our social disorder, if you will. But the, the confluence of all these things happening all at once has incredibly impacted our people already by more than double what they were before, more than double. And it's still going up. You know, this data represents data through May. So the data through May would include a lot of the, 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 the disruption as it related to uh, financial disruption, you know, unemployment or the risk of that. A lot of the fear issues around the virus, particularly in the Northeast, and, and, but actually we were already turning in, in May on the virus. What this doesn't yet reflect or very minimally reflect is a lot of the more recent trends around race. Uh, this does at the tail end of May was when the first major incident occurred uh, related to uh, race, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until June 1st that the, Troops were brought into Washington, and the president held the Bible up on the steps. And so next month was, was where we'll start to see the impact of really this maturing uh, conversation and major trend around, around race. But, but you can tell that this is a very quickly moving area. And if we're not watching, our, watching this closely, we're going to be missing how is this affecting our people and, and what should we be doing as, as, as organizations, as communities, uh, as industry to get ready and, and mitigate these issues?
Louis, in findings on working Americans above the age of 18, stark increases in conditions such as depression, anxiety, and PTSD, as shown on the chart right here, were observed post-COVID compared with pre-COVID. Based on your experience, how can employers optimally work to monitor and support mental health in their workforce? Yes. Um, so first thing I'd like to say uh, is that mental health um, is not just about conditions or disorders, right? Mental health is also, first and foremost, about capacity. And it's that capacity that's being impaired by conditions, but also by fight or flight responses and all sorts of things uh, that make us move on the continuum from I am 100% myself, I'm at my best, to I am sick and I am impaired. And anywhere in between, what's happening is life is influencing us and we are moving on that continuum as we can see with this data, absolutely out of our control. Like we don't control COVID, we don't control George, George Floyd, the police or Trump, but it's affecting us in a big way. And when you say, oh, I've got 163% uh, of my uh, increase in depression, what that means is there used to be at the beginning of this curve, 7% of people who were at risk of depression. We're now talking 22%. That is becoming a quarter of your workforce that has that one disorder, potentially. And if they don't, it doesn't mean that if they're not clinically depressed, it doesn't mean they're not affected. They are for sure more negative. They are for sure less energetic. They are for sure less, less prone to action. Uh, and so as an employer, you have a responsibility because you depend on those capacity to understand how it's moving to understand how the world is affecting it, but more importantly, how you are affecting it. Because the same way that COVID is going to make me more depressed, more anxious, and PTSD, uh, having a restructure, having a bad management decision, having a rushed launch of a product uh, has the same impact on us on a daily basis. And so as managers, it's our responsibility to understand this, to track it, and to question our practices the same way that we would question, question um, you know, our leadership decisions in their management of COVID. And so if we're gonna be responsible managers with the most precious asset in the world, which is the brain, we're gonna monitor it. Uh, there are tools out there that allows you to monitor our brain capacities. There are tools out there that allows you to screen for mental health. We are one of them that integrates it all. There's others. And so using them is super important, number one, because all of a sudden you have the capacity to look at the state of your most precious asset. Uh, when you know the state, you can then be compassionate. You can then be generous you can then help in every way you can. You can also encourage people to do, uh, uh, to use digital uh, tools in order to self-care. 
uh, and to use offline tools to take care of themselves. Go for a walk if having a walk is the thing that you got to do as an employee. Now as an employer, knowing that it makes you feel good and that it's a good thing for you, I should have programs that are flexible, that gives you access to things that are good for you and that integrates and sends you to the professional care that you need as soon as you can uh, when, when, it's, uh, when it's possible. One of the biggest issues in mental health is that half of all conditions are undiagnosed. Half. Means we go to work sick. And we know that when we go to work sick, it's costing our employers $17,000 of incremental cost in productivity and healthcare. Getting that person to become aware and to go see, go have a conversation, go consult is a game changer in that person's life, in that person's family, in that business of ours, and in our society in aggregate. So monitoring and sending people to get care and help them to self-care is the name of the game if we're going to do something in mental health, in my humble opinion. Mike, results of the study represent the impact of the pandemic in intensifying mental health issues, which has already been on the rise before COVID. As some employers may not currently be prepared to address the magnitude of this mental health crisis, what can they do to get ahead of this issue before it escalates further? Well, you know, uh, what's interesting is uh, suicide rates were already up in the country. In fact, uh, you know, that the longevity of the uh, of of our people, the American people, was actually going down uh, before all of this happened uh, because of suicide and, and addiction issues, and um, and with that in mind, uh, and with I think uh, kind of a growing awareness, I think corporate America and more broadly employers uh, really were already on the right track to tackle this head on. I mean they. They were tackling the issues around stigma. They were uh, trying to eliminate barriers to care, trying to uh, provide uh, multi-touch points within their organization, and frankly, training their management and supervisors on how to recognize issues and how to guide people to the right resources. Having said all of that, they've never seen anything like this. This is... Um, this, you know, when, when, when Louis says, you know, one out of four people in a given month might be, uh, show, you know, showing up with uh, some sort of mental health condition at some magnitude. And furthermore, that the, and that's just depression, right? It's not anxiety. It's not PTSD. It's, it's just depression. Um, and, and then you combine that with half people kind of self, uh, don't, don't actually get the care. Again, try, they, they, they don't want to admit they have an issue and so they don't get there. Again, employers have to be more proactive and their supervisors at every level of the organization, the coworkers need to keep the connectivity. You know, there's a lot of discussion around social distancing. And the reality is we've got that wrong. It's really physical distancing. We need to stay connected socially, even when we're remote, even when we're working at home and isolated. The more isolated we are, the more connected we, we need to be, and, and employers need to do that. So I think employers were on the right track. Uh, frankly, the movement to telebehavioral health has actually been a positive um, 
trend for uh, supporting people. It turns out that you can do virtual care for uh, behavioral health very effectively. And so that's, you know, one of the bright spots in all of this, but it's not going to be enough. Uh, you know, our, our issues are so big that we need to still look at the capacity issue. And we know that before the COVID crisis, people who already were recognized as needing care, either by the company or by themselves, couldn't get care. It might take them six months to get an appointment to get support. Why? Because providers are practicing out of network. Uh, the networks that show up uh, often are not taking new patients. So the people most in crisis couldn't get access to care. Makes sense. Primary care is actually where most of the medications were being prescribed. Yet primary care really isn't organized to better understand how to treat the condition. And so we are advocating we need to double down on the integrated behavioral health model, collaborative care. It's evidence-based, it's been around 20 years, and yet it's very rare in our country. And you can do it virtually. So there's a lot we can do to bend the curve, you know, mitigate the need for services by connecting with people, as, as we said, how we connect, how we interact, the demands and pressures we put on them. And then, but secondly, we need to raise that capacity and we need to take seriously these issues we've been kicking down the, down the, the corner uh, around capacity. And that's, that's network access, that's uh, collaborative care, and the care that we provide, we need to be more professional about it. We need to actually do a systematic assessment. Louis says, you know, most people don't even know, doctors don't know why, they don't even measure. Should measure to understand if somebody has something and they should remeasure to determine what their treatment, whether it had an impact. We wouldn't do that in any other condition, but somehow we think it's okay that we can wing it for mental health. That's not acceptable anymore. You get 20 to 60% better outcomes if you measure and remeasure. And how could that not be the standard of care? But instead of it being the standard of care, it's relatively uncommon. And Mike, just to build off that, do you think it is possible to have personalized mental health interventions in the U.S. workforce? Well, I don't know how else you do it. Um, you know, there is nothing, uh, the nature of mental health is we all have our own story. Um, you know, it's, it's not as simple as building skills around resilience. Um, you know, that you could be more generic. Uh, but the reality is my story, Lewis's story, your story, my wife's story, my kid's story, each one of those stories is different. And if you're going to be empathetic to the total person understanding the reality of what is happening, uh, you've got to be engaged in a real way, understanding what that total story is, and then helping them to manage through that story. So um, again, I, I don't believe that there is a uh, an easy way to do that, you know, skill building. Yeah, you can do that. But remember only, only, you know, our ability to cope, the skills that we have only predict, a, predict about 16% of the outcomes, the actual cumulative demands and pressures, they predict 60% of the outcomes. So no matter what you do in building coping skills with this amount of change, this amount of, of uh, cumulative impact on, on our people, you're going to have higher prevalence. And, and if you want to deal with that higher prevalence, you've got to be engaged on a more highly personalized and, and, and personal level. And, and 
you know, that's what treatment is about. That's what um, support is about. That's what human connection is about. Uh, it, it isn't, it isn't just, you know, uh, run a little more and get more sleep. There's more to it than that. So, uh, Louis, you can go first, but what further research is being considered by Total Brain on mental health? Yes, so uh, Total Brain is uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, standardized neuroscientific database in the world. We have uh, generated more than 200 studies, 300 publications in scientific journals. And so we are a research machine. Uh, we, we open our database to so many research institutions uh, of all kinds. Uh, and so I will, be, uh, I will not talk to our general research agenda. I will just focus on the index per se. And want to say that right now we have thousands of people using um, our assessments every week. We are taking a random sample controlling for cohort effect on a weekly basis. Uh, but that is not enough for us to go deep and understand what's happening in uh, the San Francisco area and what's happening with the nurses of Florida so on and so forth. So one of our uh, common goal is to increase the take of the assessment, the taking of the assessment uh, and encourage uh, enterprises to do this, to do the encouragement, to encourage them, we give it for free uh, so that people can go compare their graph with the graph of the index and start the internal conversations uh, around what it is that they want to do about the problem that they might have. And so our dream, uh, frankly, in the short term is to make sure that uh, this assessment gets taken by many, many, many more enterprises so that we can really go with uh, deep dives and so many other dimensions regarding locations, job levels, uh, education, industries, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, for me, that is the top priority. And what about for the National Alliance, Mike? Well, you know, uh, there's so many different ways one can cut this. Uh, you know, we are taking on, for example, the whole issue of race, health, and equity. Uh, well, uh, if you don't think there is a valid uh, segmentation by race, I think you would be missing really a, a life-changing uh, environment that we're in. And, and I know that Louis is working on bringing that into the the database, but I, you know, uh, companies, uh, organizations in the United States are not just U.S. corporations, they're global corporations, and there's no reason that this same science can't be applied across cultures and across languages and across uh, geography, and so we see a time when this is not just a U.S. phenomenon, but a global phenomenon, and just like we monitor the health of our economy over time, we're going to do a better job at monitoring the health, emotional health in particular, of our people. And that will have broad implications uh, for companies uh, across the globe. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.